0: up there um, just for you guys to be aware next week uh, next Sunday we'll start a new series um, we are wrapping up the letter of Romans today and then next week we'll start a series that will carry us through most of the summer called battlegrounds. This is going to be a series about spiritual warfare, what it looks like, how it takes place in our lives, how we interact with that um, so that'll that'll be over the course of summer maybe answer some questions that you might have um, maybe teach you some things that you're not aware of that are in the scriptures. The goal will be that, to ground us in the scriptures on this because one of the things that happens with topics like this is we get so far out this way or we don't know what's in the scriptures and so we stay away from it. And so we want to be grounded in the scriptures on this. And uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual powers that are out there. And so ignorance is a pretty poor battle strategy. And so we want to be aware of how the enemy works, how they interact with us, so that we know how we're supposed to interact with them. So that, that'll kick off next week. Thanks, Jake. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 16. The last uh, three verses there, Romans chapter 16, if you need a Bible, there should be a Bible maybe around you. You might have to look down the row or on a row uh, behind or in front of you, but Romans chapter 16, if you're using a Bible from one of the rows there, page 745, and uh, as you're doing that, let me, let me put two things before you. One, if you're using the Bible from the chair and you don't have one of your own, if this is a good one, if you're reading it and you're going, it makes sense, please take that with you today. We'd love for that to be a gift for you and we'll get more. That's a great thing to have to do. Um, the second thing is I would encourage you to have a Bible open or pulled up on your device so you can see the verses that, that I'm going to have up here because how do you know I didn't make this up? Right? I mean, I mean, I could make this up and you would never know. You should not trust me just because I stand up here on a stage slightly elevated above you with a clicker and something on the, sc- on the screen. You, you shouldn't trust me just for those reasons. You should have the scriptures open in front of you or pulled up on a device so you can see here's where he's pulling that, here's where he's saying that from, here's where that's from. Because just because someone says something's in the Bible or just because someone says this is a Christian thing does not make it a Christian thing. The Bible has, can be used for any number of things. So you should, ch- you should test that. And you should do that with everybody that, that gets up and says they're teaching the scriptures. So Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, we're gathered together and it's Easter, right? I want to put something before you as we're, we're, we're jumping in here. Easter, if you were to search the scriptures, you will never find the word Easter, you won't find the word Easter. You won't find a, a biblical feast or a festival that's called Easter or anything like Easter. It's not in the Bible. But the resurrection of Jesus is in the Bible. It's kind of like Christmas. When we talk about Christmas, we, I put before you that Christmas is not in the Bible. You won't find Christmas in the Bible, but you will find the birth of Christ right? And so what we do when we gather for Easter, over the course of the years, churches, Christian churches over the course of history have set aside these two days to give a special focus to these significant events, the birth of Christ and the resurrection, right? But just make no mistake, as Christians, or if you call yourself Christ, we don't just gather one day a year to celebrate the resurrection on that day. The very fact that we gather at all, the very fact that we can call ourselves Christians and belong to Christ is because of the resurrection. It is an everyday thing for us, and there's certainly no harm in giving special attention to it. But don't miss that fact. It is an everyday thing. It's why believers in Christ are alive. Okay. So as we go to Romans chapter 16, now you're not going to see the word resurrection in these verses, but you're going to see the resurrection. So Romans chapter 16, verse 20 to 25, uh, 25 to 27. Here's where we're going this morning. God's gospel brings God glory through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about God's gospel, and it does belong to God. God's gospel brings God glory through Jesus Christ. So look with me at Romans chapter 16, verse 25, and that's where we'll start this morning. Paul, the apostle, says this, "'Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel,' and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Let's just stop there. There's several things we're going to unpack there. So as Paul wraps up this letter, 16 chapters, and by the way, did you notice there's no verse 24? If you you look back, you see 23, and then it goes to 25. Did Did you notice that? Now you are, right? Don't get too concerned about that. Remember, the verses and the chapters were not inspired by God. They're not part of the original, right? Those were added in in the 1500s, in the the Middle Ages. And and they can be helpful at times, but they can also not be helpful, right? So just because a verse is missing doesn't necessarily mean God missed something. But the other thing is you should have a note that says something along the lines of some manuscripts add, and it'll have a phrase like, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, amen, something like that. And, And some will say it adds it here, some will say it adds it there. Um, the way that, that works out is this. When people who know Greek, who know Hebrew, who know Aramaic, who are, who are copying the, um, from the original language to the English translation or whatever translation they're, they're copying to, when they're looking at that, they have to make some determinations. They compare all these manuscripts from all different time periods, some of them in different languages, and they compare and they're, they're trying to look at and say, okay, what's most likely the original? And sometimes they'll come across discrepancies where some manuscripts will have that extra verse there where others don't. And they're forced to, to decide, do we put it in or do we leave it out? Right? And, and if they leave it out, they have to decide, why are we leaving it out? If they put it in, why are we putting it in? And so they decided in most translations now that it was not likely part of the original. And the way they can tell that is it starts to show up in certain manuscripts that occurred later. So um, several centuries later after it was originally written, and then you can see it starting to show up then. And so they go, oh, somewhere along the way, someone put it there, either by accident or they thought it might be a good spot to put that. And then it got copied from there it. But when they look at the ones that were originally uh, are close, closest written to the originals earlier on, they see it's not there. And that's the process of of putting together a translation. And so that that does not mess up your Bible. That does not mess up um, the, the, the message of your Bible. But it's important for you to know those kind of things are there. And that's what those notes mean. All right? And so in verse 25, then, is where we pick up. Paul says, to the conclusion of this letter, now to him. Now, he's going to tell us as we get to verse 27 that him is God. But now to him. And the way he describes him, God, is him who is able to strengthen you. And so the way Paul's going to wrap up this letter, that he's, he's put out so many wonderful, great, magnificent, mysterious, heavy, weighty things, and yet he's going to stop at the end and he's going to say now to him, to God, who's able to strengthen you. Because he's looking at this group of people that he's written to in the church in Rome, and he knows they're dealing with all kinds of things. They're dealing with temptation to sin and to give in to their sinful desires. And so in chapter 6, he would warn them against that. Don't don't give in. Don't become enslaved again to your sinful desires. Um, This is a church that has had some divisions, some ethnic divisions, some relationship rifts. And so he's been appealing to them that they should pursue unity in Christ. And so the temptation is there to be divisive, to cause divisions and to create groups and factions. And so they need strength to be able to do that. Um, There's certainly pressure and persecution that could be put on them and and will in future years where being a Christian is going to come at a cost. And so it's going to take strength for them to to stay the course and to not jump ship, not abandon the Christian faith. And and so Paul is reminding them now to him, now to God, who is able to strengthen you because God gives strength. And and when Paul started his letter in chapter 1, verse 16, He said this, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And now here he's closed out and he's saying, now to him who is able to strengthen you. And I wanna just put this before you this morning. God's gospel has power. It's not just the phrase that we say, It's not just a message that we put forward. It's not just something that we turn to when things are rough and we need a crutch to lean on. It it has power. It is the means by which God transforms people. God's gospel has power. And Paul says, now to him who's able to strengthen you. But let's look back there again, verse 25. It's not that God's going to strengthen everybody. God is not, Paul's not saying now to God who is able to strengthen all people. Now he's able, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying God strengthens you and he does it in a very specific way. He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And what Paul's getting at here is my gospel is the preaching about Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel is about Jesus And so Paul is saying, now to him who's able to strengthen you, and he does it according to the gospel, if you think that God is going to give you strength for whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you're needing strength from, and you think he's going to do it, apart from the gospel, you're operating on a lie. God is not going to give his strength to you to help you get through a hard time, to help you um, navigate some, some, some unknown situations if you're trying to do that apart from his gospel. If you are trying to have a relationship with God apart from his gospel, you're not going to have that relationship like you think you do. Instead, you're going to be operating in blindness. You think that you are, but you're not. Paul says, he strengthens according to my gospel. Now, gospel means good news. That's what the word means in case that's something that's new to you. We, we throw that word around, but we never define it. Gospel means good news. And the good news has to be good only if there's bad news, right? If you don't have bad news, you, you don't have a need for good news. But there's a need for good news because of the bad news. And we'll get to that here in a bit. But Paul says, my gospel, my, 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 the good news that I've been pro, uh, proclaiming is about Jesus Christ, And so I'd put this before you God's gospel is centered on Jesus. If you hear somebody proclaiming a gospel and that gospel is about what you do, that's not the gospel. If someone is proclaiming a gospel and they say the gospel is about the compassion that you show to other people, that's not the gospel. If you hear someone proclaiming the gospel and they say the gospel is about social justice, that's not the gospel. If you hear someone saying the gospel, they're proclaiming the gospel and they say the gospel is about racial reconciliation, that's not the gospel. Those are all things that the gospel affects, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is not a verb; it's not what you do. It is a message about what God has done. And then everything trickles from that. The gospel, God's gospel, is centered on Jesus. If someone's proclaiming to you a gospel that is not centered on Jesus, what he's done, and who he is, you're not hearing the gospel. And you're certainly not hearing the gospel that Paul says is able to strengthen you. So the gospel is centered on Jesus. So we go back to verse 25. Now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then he says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Revelation is just the word that talks about revealing. So he says, this gospel is it's in accordance with it's it's about this revealing of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages. Now, when the New Testament writers use the word mystery, they don't mean a crime mystery that you have to solve, put the pieces together. What they mean is, it's something that's always been true, but it's not been revealed until a certain time. So there's something that's always been true, but in God's progress of revealing himself over history, there's more and more that he reveals. And the things that he reveals now that he had not revealed earlier, Paul calls those things a mystery. Right? Now, when Paul talks about the mystery that was kept secret for long ages... He's talking about a mystery that's centered on Jesus. And he uses this word in several places. In, in this letter, Romans, chapter 11, he would describe, um, in, in chapter 11 where he talks about some of the Jewish people have been hardened so that they cannot understand the gospel, and son, so that now the Gentiles, non-Jewish people can be brought in, grafted in. And he says that's a mystery that God would do that, that in Christ, non-Jews and Jews would come together and be part of the same group of people. He says that's a, a mystery. In his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, he'll talk about a mystery. And there, the mystery is about this new group of people called the church, where Jew and non-Jew, Gentile, they come together in Christ into a new group of people, the same group of people. They're not divided. And Paul calls that a mystery. Now, I want to show you a few places in the letter to the Colossians where Paul uses the same word and helps us to see how it centers on Christ. So this is from Colossians chapter 1, the last part of verse 24 and 4. He says, "...of the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And then he tells us what it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the, 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 the fact that Jesus comes in, and, and lives in believers, he's calling that a mystery. Okay? In chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And he defines it for us, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then one more, chapter 4 of Colossians. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery Of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison. So when Paul talks about um, God is revealing this mystery that's been kept secret for long ages past, it's always been true. It's always been part of God's plan, but it's not been revealed. It's not been as clearly seen. And so the fact that Jesus comes and Jesus is the one, God in the flesh, through whom God is going to fulfill all of his promises, through whom God is going to be the savior of the world, that this one, Is God's plan of rescue? That's the mystery. And Paul says it's now being revealed. And so I put this before you. That God's gospel is mysterious. And I'd say this to you. I'd say, sometimes God reveals things to you, but it's not entirely clear until a later time. So perhaps you've been praying for something, you've been asking God for something, and you, he's, he's shown you something. Maybe he's given you a tidbit, he's given you, and you're going, I, I don't understand that. That's okay. Waiting is faith and trusting God, and he might reveal more about it and give you greater understanding or clarity later. And I don't mean for that to sound mystic and cryptic. It's just as we pray for God to guide us, sometimes we don't always understand what that guidance means or looks like but we can trust his timing and we can trust that this may not make sense now, but later. All right, so he goes on though in verse 26 and he says, but now, so still talking about this mystery that's been revealed, it's been kept secret for long ages, but it has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So let's take that first part. So it's now being disclosed, it's now being made known Through the prophetic writings, and what he means there is what we call the Old Testament, the thirty-nine books of the Old Testament. He's saying it is being disclosed, the mystery about Christ. It's being made known through those books. Now, how is that possible? Keep this in mind: when Jesus was walking the earth and he was walking around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he was teaching, he was teaching from Old Testament scriptures. He wasn't teaching from New Testament. It wasn't written. The New Testament was written about him right? So he's, re- he's teaching from Old Testament scriptures. He teaches from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and he teaches from Numbers and Deuteronomy and Isaiah. I mean, he teaches from the Psalms, and he's showing how all of these things ultimately point to Christ, right? And so the Old Testament writings are not irrelevant for us today because they point to Christ, Now, even the Apostle Paul and and the followers of Christ who wrote some of the New Testament scriptures, they too, when they were writing, they'll pull in the Old Testament because they're building upon now, as God is helping them to understand, they are building upon what God has already revealed in the Old Testament. They are not making something new. They're not creating something that's new. And so with that, I'm going to put before you that God's gospel is rooted in history. It's not new with Jesus when Jesus came on the scene. The the Christian faith is ultimately a continuation of the Jewish faith, right? So all throughout the Old Testament, the things that the, the Old Testament is pointing to ultimately are fulfilled in Christ. So now Jewish people today who understand that have placed their trust in Christ. They understand he is the Messiah, the King that God has sent. But Jewish people today who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they're just clinging to an incomplete Revelation. They're they're missing the uh, the other part that God has has revealed through Christ. God's gospel is rooted in history. It's not new. Now that's important because sometimes people will say, well, Christianity is a new faith, and I prefer to trust in ancient faiths, right? And so they'll talk about some of these ancient faiths. You need to know the gospel is rooted in history. Now, some of these other ones that you may you may be confronted with, let's take Islam for just a moment. Islam is one of the major religions in the world. Islam was established in around 600 or 615 A.D., after Christ. Okay? That was when the prophet Muhammad received some visions and wrote down what he received in in their scriptures. 600. After Christ. If you take, let's take another big one, Mormonism. Mormonism somewhere in the 1830s. Somewhere in the early 1800s, around 1830s, when Joseph uh, Smith received a vision after partaking of some substance and then wrote those things down. 1830. Um, Another one, Jehovah's Witness, early 1900s. Early 1900s is when they established their religion. The gospel is not new. Christianity is not new. It is an ancient faith that is rooted in history. It did not start with Jesus coming on the scene and creating something new. Jesus came on the scene to fulfill what had already been written and then to reveal the things that God had not yet revealed. The gospel is rooted in history. Let's go back to verse 26. So it's now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all the nations. Now, all the nations there, when, when God started to work through one nation, the nation of Israel, he did not do that with the expectation that no other nations would come to him. Instead, what happened in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, humanity rebelled against God and God scattered them. And Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9, help us to see the backstory to that. That God scattered them and he disowned most of them and then he inherited one of them. And he created that nation, the nation of Israel. And for that nation, he was going to be their God. Now the plan was then through this nation, they were to be a light to all the other nations. So their relationship with the Lord, the one true God, was going to be on display as they went about the other nations, and the other nations would ultimately then come back to the Lord. And so Paul, the apostle, sees himself as part of that plan, bringing all these nations back to the Lord. And so he says it's been revealed through the prophetic writings. It's been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. And that command, now God is eternal, means no beginning, no end. There's never been a time where God did not exist. He has always existed, and he always will. And this command, Paul says, the gospel is part of God's eternal plan. It's not plan B. God did not come up with the plan of the gospel when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. No, God is eternal. God knows all things. He knows all things that actually happen and he knows all things that could possibly happen, but that never do happen. Did you get that? All things actual and potential. There is nothing hidden from God, which means when we make decisions, God knows the decisions that we're going to make, and he knows also the decisions that we could have made and what would have happened had we done that. He knows all of that. He is not limited in any way in his knowledge. And so plan B was not in God's vocabulary. The gospel instead is rooted in the eternality of God. God knew God knew when he created that his creation would rebel against them. God knew that when his creation would rebel against them, they would need a savior to reconcile them to God. God knew all of that. And yet, here, here's God existing in the eternality as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three equally God. All three at the same time. God was not lonely. He didn't need anything from us. So his creating of of us was not so that we can give him something that he lacked. He lacks nothing. And yet the love of God the Father for God the Son overflows. And so he creates so that that love can then be placed on creation. And yet he knew that that creation would rebel against him. And he knew that he would be sending God the Son into this world that rebelled against him. So that God the Son might be the Savior of the world. He knew that. The gospel is rooted in the eternality of God. We go back to verse 26. It's been made known according to the command of the eternal God, and he says, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, that's a phrase that Paul's used uh, two other times in this letter. Sometimes Christians, we think obedience is a bad word. And particularly if we've been exposed to legalism. And legalism would be, I, I live my life in such a way where I earn favor with God. Or the, the better I live my life, the more God's going to favor me. Or if, if I can be good enough, then I will tip these scales and God will let me in. Legalism. I create the standard. Now I have to measure up to that standard. And by the way, you have to measure up to my standard. That's legalism. Right? So sometimes obedience gets a bad word. But Paul, when he talks about obedience, he talks about obedience that comes from faith. He talks about the type of obedience that is birthed or produced by faith. And it starts, it starts with responding to the gospel. If, if I'm hearing the gospel and I've not believed in the gospel, then obedience of faith, uh, responding by faith to the gospel would be an act of obedience, but it would be birthed in faith. It would be produced by faith. It's not me mustering something up. And then as a believer in Christ, I continue to to live a life of obedience, of faith. In other words, I don't go from trusting in the gospel by faith and then trying to live my life to prove to God I was worthy to be accepted on his team. Instead, I live my life still in obedience to God, but by faith, trusting that the Spirit is producing in me the desires and the ability to carry out those desires that come from God. Obedience is not a bad word. Now, To respond to the gospel by faith is to be obedient, which means to reject the gospel is disobedience, okay? So he says, I'm doing this to bring about the obedience of faith. And so God's gospel produces obedience from faith. We are always responding to the gospel. There is no neutral ground. You, you, you don't get to sit in the middle and say, I, I, I'm not gonna respond this time, I'm gonna respond next time. You either respond by faith, if you've not trusted in the gospel, you respond by faith, thereby being brought from darkness to light, um, from death to life, you respond by faith. Or if you're a believer in Christ, you hear the gospel and you, you continue to respond by faith, trusting that God provides in it all that we need to live and know him in the ways that he wants us to live and know him. And if you don't respond by faith, then you are responding in disobedience every time. And to respond in disobedience is to be hardened and to, be, to, to turn towards sin and away to God. God's gospel produces, though, an obedience that comes from faith. Verse 27, then, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Paul, when he talks about wisdom, wisdom is knowledge being lived out rightly. Right knowledge being lived out rightly. It's it's working it out. And so when he talks about God, the only wise God, one, he's saying there's no other being that is wise. Now, when Paul talks about the wisdom of God, in chapter 11, he would say, um, at the end of chapter 11, after he's described God's plan to, to, to save the, the Jewish people and also to bring some of the Gentile non-Jewish people into the same group all through Jesus Christ, when he, when he concludes that section, chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul's response is, Oh, the wisdom of God. Because who could come up with such a plan? Who, who could come up with when God creates and, and his, his creation rebels against him and, and God desires for his creation to know him and be restored to him, that he might receive glory? Who could think that the way to do that, the best way to do that, would be to let that sin play out over time until the right time in God's perfect timing, where God would determine now is the time to send God the Son, who, who can be take on the human form and then live a perfectly obedient life, die a death on behalf of guilty people, raise from the dead on the third day? Who would think think that's the best way to bring people back to God. I would have never come up with that. I couldn't have. You would have never come up with that. No, the best that we can come up with is what humanity has been doing ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve ate. The best that we can come up with is how good can I be? And we just repackage that in all kinds of different ways. Do I have the right knowledge? Um, do, I, do I live the right path? Um, do, I, do I do enough things? Right? I mean, we just repackage it any way that we think makes us feel good. And it's just like rubbing balm on this open wound, but that balm is never going to heal it. It's just making it greasy. And it makes me feel good that I might be doing something good for myself. Was that gross? I'm sorry. To the only wise God. And so the gospel, that was special for you. The first service didn't get that image. God's gospel displays God's wisdom. God's wisdom is put on display in the gospel. Lastly, Paul says in 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Now glory When we talk about glory or give God glory or glorify God, glory is putting my attention, my affection, placing the honor on God. I could add to that my attention, my affection, honor, the way I live my life, it all reflects on God, right? Now, I give God glory when I do those things, but if I choose not to give God glory, then I'm still giving glory to something or someone. Most of the time, we end up giving glory to myself, ourselves. How can I put the attention, the affection, the honor on me? How can I live my life in such a way that people are impressed with me? We know how to bring glory to ourselves, but Paul orients us back towards God, and he says, to God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Now, you might be saying, but isn't that selfish that God would be the one to get glory? And I mean, is it selfish for anyone to get glory? It would be if it's you or me. But if you are the highest being and you're eternal, you've never had an end or beginning, and and there's nothing, nothing or no one greater than you, then the greatest thing that you can do as God is to give yourself glory. And it's not sin for God to do that. And then if you are created by God as his creation, the greatest thing and the highest purpose you can live your life for as God's creation is to bring him glory. And if you do anything less, if we do anything where we're bringing ourselves glory or something else glory, we are stealing from God what belongs solely to him. And so Paul says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And so God gets glory through Jesus Christ. And so when you think about God's plan to save the world, why did he wait why not just solve the problem, fix it when it happened, and then keep going on and everybody gets to know God? Why? Because in God's wisdom, he gets more glory through Jesus, coming, living, dying, raising from the dead. And so to God be the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So God's gospel brings glory to God, which then brings us back to where we started. God's gospel brings God glory through Jesus Christ. Now, you didn't didn't see anything about the resurrection in those verses. And so, why are we talking about this on Easter? We talked about God's gospel, God's good news about Jesus. You cannot have the gospel of God apart from the resurrection, they are inseparable. If you detach the resurrection from the gospel, there's no gospel, because the gospel is good news. If Jesus came and he lived a life and he died for sinners for the forgiveness of our sins, but he never raised from the dead, we are still in our sin. Our sin is not forgiven. But if Jesus has raised from the dead, and he has, then he sits at the right hand of God the Father where he lives to intercede on behalf of those who have trusted in him. And so the sacrifice continues on, and it is eternal. And the sins are forgiven, and they remain forgiven. You cannot detach the resurrection from the gospel. And so when we gather on Easter, it's completely appropriate for us to talk about the gospel. God's gospel. Now, just to be clear, in case this has not been clear, what is the gospel? What is the good news that God has proclaimed? You see, this supreme being, God who's always existed, decided to create. And when he created the first humans, he created them and he put them in, in his garden. So Adam and Eve in God's garden. And he said to them, he gave them a command. He said, Now uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over it. And so as God's representatives, those who bear God's image, they were to represent God to the rest of creation by ruling over the rest of creation. And then God says to to his creation, uh, to Adam and Eve, hey, you may eat of any tree of the garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, the day if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And so enter in the tempter, Satan, right, who had already been in rebellion against God. And so the, the tempter tempts Eve. And, and Eve, uh, she, she's questioning now God because the tempter says, did God really say? Because that's what he does. So come back in the next couple of weeks. That's what he does. He calls us to question God. What did God really say? And did he really mean that? And so she eats the, the fruit that she was not supposed to eat. Then she gives some to her husband who was nearby. And he eats. And so Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that through uh, one man, sin entered into all of humanity. Through one man, sin entered into all of humanity and death through sin. And so every person born since Adam and Eve, every person born since Adam and Eve has been born impacted and infected by sin. No one escapes the impact of that sin. And so God, in the course of time, in the course of history, in His perfect time, He would send God the Son to be born in a different way, not born like any other person. He couldn't be, because every person born of a, a mother and a father are born impacted and infected by sin. But Jesus was not born of a father, a human father. He was born of a mother, but it was a virgin birth this is why the virgin birth is absolutely essential because if jesus was born of a father and a mother like every one of us he would have been born impacted and infected by sin but he was not he was born of a virgin therefore he was born into a world that was impacted and infected by sin but he himself had no sin and he lives a perfectly obedient life to god the father and he did that as a representative because adam couldn't do it he failed the people of Israel couldn't do it. They failed. And so come, here comes Jesus, and he does it on behalf of those who would, who would be God's people, and he does it so that we would not have to because we can't. And then he dies a death even though he was innocent. Now, we know that people put him to death. They put him to death because he's ruffling feathers. He was stirring the pot. He was was making people mad. and, And they didn't believe he was who he said he was. They put him to death. But we know that God, in his perfect timing, all of this was ordained by God. That people, the creation that had rebelled against God, would put the very one that had come to save them, they would put him on a cross. So that he would then die a death on behalf of sinful, rebellious people, taking the judgment and the wrath of God for sin while he hung there. he would die having covered all of the sins for God's people and on the third day he would raise from the dead to a new type of life a type of life that is greater than sin that is greater than death and now God doesn't tell us that now I want you to follow his example and try to live like him instead no he says I want you to place your trust in what he's done what he's accomplished for you is what I have done for you. That's God's words to us. And so the response of obedience is faith. I trust in that. I stop trusting in what I've been trusting in. I turn away from that and instead trust in what God has done through Christ. That's the gospel. That's what God has done for us. That's what he has, he has communicated and revealed through the scriptures. And many of you in this room know it and I hope you are leaping with joy and your heart is being stirred this morning. And others of you in this room, I hope you're hearing that. Because I hope that you're not thinking I'm going to live my life now, however I want, and I'm going to deal with God later in life. You presume too much and you presume upon God too much. It's not your gospel. It's not my gospel. It's God's gospel and he reveals it to us and it is something that that he he helps us to see and understand it is not something that we can say well i'm gonna take that put that in this box and then later on when i'm ready then i will because how do you know you will if you persist in a life of disobedience and sin and it may not even be that bad of a life but you are in rebellion against God and you've not trusted in his gospel, therefore you have rejected it. You persist in that. How do you know you won't get to that day and God has just given you over to your sin? Because he talks about that in Romans chapter one. People who suppress God's, the knowledge of God, who actively know he's God but suppress him as God, and so he then gives them over to chase their sins. How do you know that you won't be given over to your sins and you'll have no desire to turn toward God. Don't presume that God's gospel is in your power. It's not. And so as Psalm 95 says, today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden yourself as in the day of rebellion, but come and respond in obedience that comes through faith. And so we're going to sing um, uh, uh, some of that Jesus paid it all, the the core, uh, bridge, I guess it's a the bridge there. And I, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. And for some of you, you're going to sing it. And we're going to ask the Lord to stir our hearts' affections for him so that we might put glory upon him this morning. And others of you, if, if you've not trusted in the gospel, we're asking the Lord, hey God, show me this today. Is this what I need? Is this what you've done for me and I need this this morning? And if so, then respond to him by trusting in what he's done in Christ. Let's sing together. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised us life. So now as we depart from here, depart from here and know that your God's love has been demonstrated to you, and that he sent Jesus to die for you while you were still sinners. God knows who he got. He's not surprised by any of the mess that you're trying to cover up and convince others is not there. He knows, and Christ died for that. Those sins are covered and paid for. So instead of walking around in guilt or shame, depart from here, child of God, and walk around with hope and in victory, filled with joy. And those of you who don't know that joy, depart from here and know that there's a God who's not looking to catch you messing up. He already knows. But instead, He's done for you what you could only hope to do on your best day. So look to Him, the God of hope, And do it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.